Hello and welcome to the Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians made possible by Aftercare Australasia and also our friends at Australian Unity. This week on the program, we talk house prices. Melbourne and Sydney have hit a rough patch, but what does that mean for your retirement? We speak to property expert Simon Presley from Propertyology. Simon has just concluded a study that has analysed 30 years of Sydney house prices, and yes, the information is relevant to us, despite the fact that we don't live in the New South Wales capitals, because he says the lessons learnt there apply to all of us. Simon has recommendations about what to do in this steepening financial crisis. Also this week, positive ageing expert Marcus Riley has just launched his book, Booming, a life-changing philosophy for ageing well, he says. And we speak to Marcus about the book and the five keys to healthy ageing, the secrets revealed right here on the age stage. But we begin with deafness and a staggering fact. One in six Australians has a hearing impairment, and that number is going to jump to one in four by 2050. It's just one of the stats that came to light in last week's Hearing Awareness Week. And joining us online to tell us about that and other initiatives in the area is Carly Chisholm, a speech pathologist and auditory verbal therapist who's also worked on the amazing cochlear implant for the last 15 years. Carly, those figures, one in six of us have a hearing problem. Those figures, quite staggering. They are, yes. Yeah, so at the moment we know that one in six of James is deaf, hearing impaired or has such a chronic ear disorder that's impacting the hearing and as you say that number is expected to rise to one in four um, in a few decades time by 2050. So uh, the obvious question is why is this so? Why are so many people uh, hearing impaired? There are a range of reasons uh, it cause hearing loss so we know there's new infections um, that cause hearing loss for there's genetic reasons that cause hearing loss and there's also environmental reasons such as um, exposure to particular um, drugs or, or medication, and also just the ageing process causes hearing loss. So are these issues compounded by the ageing process as well? It can be compounded by the ageing process, and the expected rise is largely due to our ageing population. So what are we doing to address that in older Australians? Yeah, so our big call to action for Hearing Awareness Week, and I think for every week of the year, is really if people are concerned about their hearing, to go and have a hearing test. And that maybe you're concerned about friend or family members hearing, really encourage them to go and have their hearing test. So you've got some information and some facts about that. And I've got a website and a phone number if people want to have some more information about that. So let me know when you're ready for those. Well, that'd be fantastic. Maybe you could share them with us right now. Yeah. So the first one is the website. So www.hearingoptions.com.au. So that will take you through to RIDBC, one of our pages, to give you some more information about hearing loss. And also a phone number, a 1300 581 391. That was 1300 581 391. So is it important for us older Australians to be having regular hearing tests? It is. We think it's quite standard to have our blood pressure checked, to have our eyes checked, but... As terms of hearing check, it's not really something um, that is a standard uh, test that happens for us. But given that, uh, 73% of the population thinks that uh, hearing loss is an unavoidable part of ageing, but less than 40% have had, had a hearing test in the last two years. So that's of those that have think they've got a problem. 
So very few people who identify that they're having some trouble with their hearing actually go and have a hearing test. So say I go along, have a test, I present myself uh, and do get some rather bad news back. Um, what interventions are possible and what remedies are possible as well? So hearing aids are an option and there's a range of hearing aids. So if the first hearing aids don't work, this is where the great work of audiologists come in. They're able to work through that with clients and see what is the best thing for um, each of the clients. So hearing aids are an option. But then also for some people, hearing aids are not enough. They're not powerful enough to give access to sound that people are needing. And that's where a cochlear implant can be helpful. So this, of course, is this amazing Australian invention which has made such a difference in so many lives, not only in this country but worldwide as well over the last few decades now. Definitely, yes. So it's been great advances in technology and that it does allow both children and adults. Um, we often think of children when we think of cochlear implants, but certainly we've got many adults who've got cochlear implants. And we've got some of our clients who are approaching 100 with their cochlear implants. That's so am- age, is no, age is no barrier. Age is no barrier. Well, you've been working in this area for the last 15 years with cochlear ear implants. Um, are there any amazing life-changing moments that you've been privy to in that time? Oh, many, many, many. Um, and they go from little children who are hearing for the first time. You've got babies and they do a bit of an eye widen when they hear sounds for the first time, all the way through to adults who get quite a puzzled look on their face and start to process sound in a different way. The cochlear implant is a different signal that they're getting, but our brains are amazing and it's able to work that out. So for them to be able to come back in a week or two and tell them, tell us that they're starting to understand some things through their cochlear implant and to see that adults have gone from being quite withdrawn, not wanting to participate in social or family events because it's just too hard with the hearing loss, to getting back to being involved in those community events and enjoying dinner again with your family is just so encouraging. So for an older Australian who has a memory of hearing from a younger period, then loses it and then does have the intervention, the cochlea is implanted, their sense of hearing is slightly different because the sounds they're hearing is different, is it, in a synthesised sense later on with the cochlea? It is. So a cochlear implant does use, in inverted commas, an electrical signal where hearing aids will give, amplifies the acoustic signal, so it just amplifies the sound that is happening in the environment. So a cochlear implant uh, has a microphone on the outside and that microphone picks up the sound, converts the sound to a frequency that's transported across the coil because a cochlear implant does have an implant that is surgically implanted um, into the middle ear. So it just rests under the skin and goes down into the ear. But they're connected by a magnet and that part on the inside picks up the signal that is transmitted across the coil and then there are a certain number of electrodes that go down into our cochlea, that snail-shaped part of our inner ear. And depending on the frequency, so it might be a high-frequency sound like an S, like a, or a low-frequency sound like a M, different electrodes would fire. And then from there, our auditory nerve does the work just as it would if it was hearing aids or typically hearing. It picks up that signal and then sends it to our brain for processing. And our brains are amazing. They are able to adapt to the signal. It takes some time and some practice, but our brains are amazing. So we're not hearing pure sound then. We're hearing an electronic version of it with a cochlea. Electronic version, yes. And a lot of people ask, well, what does it sound like? And... That's hard for people to describe, 
But we know from children who learn from an early age to listen with a cochlear implant that they can go on to develop normal speech and language skills. They don't start speaking like a robot. They don't start speaking with uh, an electronic voice. So the brain is interpreting that sound as a speech signal and they go on and you wouldn't know that they have a cochlear implant. What a, what a wonderfully rewarding career you're involved in, Kylie. It's a great job. It must be absolutely spectacular. For parents with children that are showing normal signs of development, interactivity, fun, jumping around and stuff like that, but their speech might be a little bit off, should they be concerned? Should they be getting involved with or having the hearing of these children checked? I think that's a great question. It certainly is a a wonderful thing that we have got access to in Australia to be able to go and get a hearing check. And I think for any parent who is concerned about the development of their speech or the language skills of their child, certainly a hearing test is one of the first things that we would go um, and, and have checked. Because children may be able to hear some sounds, but not all of them, because sounds do go across um, different frequencies. And if we have some problems with our hearing, one of the examples is persistent ear infections. That can just be taking the edge off some of the sounds um, because there's perhaps a mild or a moderate hearing loss there. The children would still hear most of the conversation, but they're not getting the clarity that they need, and that sometimes can come through in their speech. So a hearing test is painless. It is quick um, for the children. It involves games and fun. For adults, it's pressing a button when you hear a sound, which is pretty fun too, and it's something that you can give um, answers and some directions in a very short period of time. So certainly do encourage parents, people themselves or anyone who's got friends or family that they are concerned about the hearing loss to reach out. And the Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children, we're very keen to be able to support families and adults um, through their journey with any of their hearing concerns. Now what about uh, nanotechnology and our ability with um, the modern digital world? Are there improvements in the cochlear that we can see over the next decade or so that uh, excites you? Oh, there's some great things that have come out um, in the last year or so that's really helping some of our clients. So the Cochlear Limited um, device currently has got Bluetooth capabilities, so a client can actually hear their phone call directly into their implant. So they don't need to hold anything up to their ear. That's a bit hard if you've got a cochlear implant. You've actually got to get the right position um, on the processor. But they can hear directly, we call it streaming, straight through the Bluetooth. So they can be picking up a phone call, stream music um, for children and those in a learning environment and a workplace, they can stream some of the things that are happening there. So it's going directly into their, um, into their cochlear implant. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It's amazing, yes. So you may have a, uh, someone who's watching, say, a movie on their iPad and we don't hear any of the volume or any of the narrative that's happening, but they will be hearing it directly into their cochlear implant. Well, that's amazing. I suppose it brings up all sorts of issues about sensitivity of hearing, um, levels, volume levels as well and stuff like that, but I guess after a little bit of time, practice and patience, you can work all that stuff out. Uh, Yes, and everyone has a program in their cochlear implant that is individual for them, and that's monitored very carefully by the audiologist. 
Amazing. So technology coming to the rescue um, and perhaps some amazing things over the horizon as well. But the most important thing is that, uh, of course, hearing is just a fundamental sense that we, we are God-given. We must protect it. And the way we can do that, especially as we get older, is um, basically have some regular checkups. You're recommending that uh, we do get along. Have a look at hearingoptions.com.au or call 1300-581-391 for more information. Indeed. Sounds fantastic. So once again, Kylie, thank you very much indeed for your time. As I said, what a very rewarding career you're involved with. must be absolutely fantastic. And those moments of revelation when all of a sudden you see somebody hearing for the first time, it must just be so amazing. It is. Never get tired of that. Kylie, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it very much indeed. All the best to you and your listeners. Positive ageing advocate Marcus Riley has just launched his new book, Booming, a life-changing philosophy for ageing well. Well, booming, the result of 20 years' experience in the ageing industry, according to Marcus. He's an advocate for older people. Um, Nevertheless, Marcus, we are getting older. We need to be aware of it. We need to be ready for it. And your book, Booming, basically looks at and gives us five top tips for that successful ageing. Yes, that's right, Brendan, and, and to me, successful ageing or, or booming is possible for all people, uh, and mainly because it's self-defined. So what I envisage for myself in terms of successful ageing is going to be different from yourself and different from listeners, uh, but it's, it really comes down to those individual priorities, those individual passions and personal preferences as to what we pursue for us each uh, to age successfully. Indeed. Well, I love them. So basically the headlines of the book, of course, is say yes. Basically, you're saying we've got to have a crack. Absolutely. It's having that open mind, that positive attitude, and understanding the benefits of, of saying yes to those what we might deem as small opportunities, but it might be the, the invitation to attend a, a function or a gathering we may normally uh, may say no to. It's um, saying yes to participating in an activity or saying yes to someone who might be offering some assistance or us offering assistance to them. It's those small interactions we have each day where we can either uh, choose to have a positive approach to those interactions and opportunities or we can take the, the negative and there's a lot more for us to be gained by having that positive mindset as a default. Well, I must pick up on that one immediately, Marcus, because I tend to usually shut the gate and hide away, but uh, I don't do social is my catchphrase. Maybe I better change that. Participate, I guess, is probably linked very much to number one as well. That is basically just just get out and also have a crack, I guess. It is. It's understanding the importance of participation in each of us maintaining a sense of purpose and having a sense of purpose in, in our lives obviously is, is critical. It helps in terms of our self-esteem, in terms of our emotional well-being, and just that drive to be doing things each day. And again, participation comes in different shapes and sizes. So for some, it's that continued uh, employment and, and being in the workforce. For some, it might be the role they play in their community or the role they play with their family that gives them that sense of purpose and that sense of and indeed, and, and the other the other laws that you're suggesting as well, basically the guides are be proactive, dodge the negative, and also pursue your passions is a very interesting one. Those are basically the five top tips that you're suggesting for us in terms of successful ageing, hey? Absolutely. Being proactive is about understanding, yes, there are risks and threats to me being healthy and happy as I get older, and understanding we can do things to mitigate those risks, whether it's 
preventative health measures, whether it's understanding the quality of our relationships and, and making sure we're fostering those because they absolutely contribute to our health and happiness. Uh, certainly being conscious that there's a lot of negative stereotypes around ageing and around getting older and they can have significant impact on the way we feel about ourselves, the way we view getting older. So we want to be uh, avoiding those and, and, and putting those into context and absolutely being focused on our passion. We've got the time we have to spend is ours and the more we spend that on things that we're interested in, things that make us feel good, things that stimulate us, then the better we're going to feel, the more positive we're going to be and the more likely we are to age successfully. Yes, indeed. Uh, these are all fantastic suggestions and I'm sure um, we'll all be in a lot better place for it. There is, however, one sort of important caveat, I guess, and that is basically our physical health. So we might have this great aspirational energy, but uh, if we're 97 and failing a little bit and having to push our Zimmer frame around a little bit, how do we get up and get active in those circumstances? Yeah, great question. And, and one of the key things, again, for everyone is, is adapting where we need to. So we need to be really developing good knowledge of ourselves in terms of our physical and, and emotional wellness, if you like, uh, and, and doing things differently where we need to be. So whether it's going for a walk instead of going for a run or whether it's um, reducing the hours we are working because we, we need to have a bit more time for ourselves to look after our, our body and our mind. As we develop our self-knowledge, we will know what things we need to just dial down a little bit or, or things we need to be doing differently. And, and there are great opportunities for us to tap into assistance to continue doing the sorts of activities we like, whether it's through technology, whether it's through physical aids or people who are willing to help us, or as I said, just doing things a little bit differently ourselves. And in thinking about our health and, and well-being, there's four key factors that really influence that, Brenda, and three of those we can very much control for ourselves. So the four factors are our genetics and what we inherit in terms of our um, physical makeup, but the other three attitude, environment and lifestyle, and those things, as I said, we can really influence for ourselves and make sure we're giving ourselves the best opportunities to be healthy and to be happy. And again, being healthy doesn't necessarily mean the absence of disease or not having any ailments. Of course, as we get older, we're going to pick up certain aches and pains or maybe even have some chronic disease to, to maintain and, and manage. But none of those things mean we can't age successfully. This means understanding what they are and what we can do to manage them best to ensure we can still be booming as we get older. What, what do you think about the sort of the zeitgeist changing in terms of perceptions about ageing and what you can do in terms of sort of generational expectation as well, Marcus? I, I'm thinking really about, I suppose, the generations that are coming out of the 60s and 70s, you know, the, the love children of that particular mm. period who were a little bit hedonistic, a little bit self-indulged and could do anything and would do anything. Are they going to redefine things as they get into their 80s and 90s about what they should be doing? Do they start dabbling in mind expectations? drugs or something. I mean, <laughs> is, is the whole thing going to be turned on its head? I think the having an element of being self-indulgent or certainly putting yourself first is important. I think we've seen early generations of older people be very, um, very willing to give to others and, and perhaps sacrifice their own health and well-being at times. And, and uh, inheritance is a great example where we often see older people being very focused on having to, to leave something for the children or to have something... Um, for the family that they can leave behind, whereas really the priority should be on ourselves to ensure that we're giving ourselves the best resources and the best opportunity to, to age well and to, to live a, a good and happy life. And again, I think that generation you referred to will shake things up. I think they will be expecting 
better opportunities and also a greater propensity to engage in uh, health and, and wellness type initiatives. So I think we are going to see a shift, as you alluded to. Um, it will take time and it will happen in different ways for different people, but I certainly think we will see that as the emerging generation of older people come through. Is it a little bit like the airline passenger on the um, descending aircraft, basically put your, your own mask on first before you attend to others? Is that the new attitude, you think? That's exactly right, and that's actually the opening sentence of a, a certain chapter in the book, uh, Brendan, and that, that, that mindset is absolutely critical, that we need to be focused on ourselves, and, and through that focus and ensuring we're as healthy and, and well as we possibly can, then we're better positioned to help other people and play that role in our family or that role in our community that is so important to us. So it very much is understanding what we need individually and, and um, satisfying those needs so that we are uh, as healthy and happy as possible. Fantastic. And, of course, you've got uh, wonderful people like Kay Patterson, of course, uh, banging away, trying to make sure that um, we can exercise our rights as far as legislation and government perceptions and policies are concerned as well. Absolutely, and I think that's a failing at the moment in terms of our government policy that we haven't got a well enough uh, coordinated and, and strategised policy around all issues to do with ageing. I think we see focus from time to time on certain elements of, of policy and, and societal issues, but without that overall coordinated approach, there's a number of different aspects that need to, need to be considered to foster successful ageing in our, in our community and we talk about aged care at times, that's often talked about in isolation as opposed to a broader approach to ageing, but it could be thinking of housing and employment and retraining of older people. All these different elements are really important to ensure our society's got this um, great approach to enabling people to, to age successfully. And uh, again, it's, we do have some champions in the, in the field who are advocating well and, and uh, engaging very positively with all or number of stakeholders, but I do think we have that failing at the moment from an overall point of view. Well, that's very interesting because, of course, our Minister for Ageing, Ken White, has his hands full at the moment. He's got a Royal Commission looking into aged care as well, and I just wonder whether if we adopted some of the philosophies and some of the attitudes advocated in your book, Marcus, whether we wouldn't be in this position in the first place, and I guess that's probably what you're saying. Absolutely, uh, and I guess the other aspect of that is it's, it's not too late, um, but we do need to, to act now. We do need to have that change in, in mindset across the board so that we are viewing this ageing of our population in a, in a much more positive way and understand that we have both the opportunity and the responsibility to, to get it right now because the generation that's coming through will only get one opportunity to get it right. So we do need to have that strong commitment from a, um, a government as well as a society point of view that we've got this opportunity and responsibility to, to enable generations of people to age very happily and healthily. Well, it's amazing, and I really don't understand why the government doesn't understand what an incredible resource the, the ageing population is. I mean, here at this radio station, which is basically volunteer-run, the incredible knowledge and the skills and the ability of the people that come in here and help make this radio station and multimedia organisation now possible is just extraordinary. Their skills, their knowledge, their expertise, Marcus, is just um, jaw-dropping at times. Absolutely, and but then I've had the the good fortune of working in the ageing industry for, for well, since I was 17 years old, basically. So uh, through that time, I've worked with thousands of, of older people and had the benefit of their wisdom being shared with me, observing their uh, approach to life and, and what has enabled them to, to be ageing successfully. And hence, I've uh, written this book to, to share those insights, to share the, the knowledge that I've 
um, gained from interacting with, with older people for so long. And you're right, we have this wonderful resource in our, in our communities and uh, we need to be tapping into the, to the knowledge and expertise a lot more. And there are different policies, uh, different levers, if you like, that governments can pull to, to better harness that wonderful resource that we've got. Good on you, Marcus. Marcus Riley has just uh, published a new book. It's called Booming, A Life-Changing Philosophy for Aging World. As I said, basic, basically the headline is Top 5 Tips for Successful Aging. Marcus, available at all good bookshops and at thirty two ninety nine. It is, and it's uh, on online uh, access as well through places like Booktopia and Amazon, uh, as well as Book Depository. So um, I certainly encourage your readers to, to have a look and, uh, and hopefully gain some insights and then some benefits to help us all age successfully. Marcus Riley, the author of Booming, A Life-Changing Philosophy for Aging Well, available at all good bookstores, as you heard, and also available online as well. And don't forget, those are five rules for healthy aging. Say yes, participate, be proactive, dodge the negative, and pursue your passions. Marcus Riley, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. This is The Age Stage. We're going to take a break, and when we come back... What to do in the declining real estate market? Your house is worth a lot. How can you short up and invest against the future? On the other side of the break, we're going to be speaking to Simon Presley about the property market, house prices, and what impacts, if any, on your retirement plans. Stick with us. This is RPFM. We're coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studios here in Wilson's Road. Hi, everyone. I'm Brendan Telfer. Good to have your company. Read the newspaper, check your news sources, watch the TV. You'll know we appear to be going through something of a property correction at the moment and values in some instances are 15% on where they were at this time last year. This is serious news for all of us, but for retirees and those about to retire, this is not good news since so much and many of our retirement plans are leveraged off the family home. To tell us more is Simon Presley. Simon is Head of Research at Propertyology, which has been looking at data, analysing data in the real estate industry for a number of years and has some reflections based on what Simon has been doing and looking at in the Sydney property market. Welcome, Simon. Good that you could join us on The Age Stage. Thank you, Brendan. Thanks for having us on. Um, so basically you specialise and have certainly been acknowledged for your work in the property market. You're based up in Queensland. But I guess what you're seeing up there can be extrapolated to the rest of us around the country. Uh, yeah, so propertyology, um, I guess to, to use an analogy, think of what a, a stockbroker would do for a share investor, uh, Brendan. Uh, yes, our office is based in Brisbane, but we have a national look. That's all of our capital cities and all of our non-capital cities. We're analysing those property markets every day, um, and then we help people use that information to make more informed property investment decisions. But yeah, as, as regards to Australian property markets, there's no, no denying Sydney and Melbourne are in significant downturns at the moment. Um, it's certainly not the case all, right across Australia. And at any given time, there's always going to be some markets doing really well and other, other markets not doing quite as well. You see, this has really got me very, very confused, Simon, because we do a couple of property segments down here, speak to a couple of our real estate agents and stuff as well. And I'm constantly pointing out to them that in terms of Melbourne, for instance, where we're based, 2,500 people are coming into this city every week. That's on top of population. They've got to live somewhere. Surely the model um, has got to take account of that. Australia, Melbourne itself is, what, in the top three fastest-growing cities in the world at the moment? 
Yeah, there's no denying that uh, Melbourne's actually never seen population growth uh, of the rate that it's seen in the last four or five years. Uh, go back through Melbourne's history, it's never always been that way. However, um, population growth is, is by and large a, a byproduct of, of economies. Um, so, you know, we go back 10 years ago and the Victorian economy was one of the weaker states and the strongest states were, um, were, were like, you know, Queensland and Western Australia. But population growth, was logically it makes sense that when there's really high population growth, you, you could have a property boom, but it actually doesn't have as big an influence on property prices as what people think. The biggest influence on property prices is buyer behaviour, um, and you can have uh, a location with very low population growth, but if the confidence within that community is strong and they're still transacting in property, uh, you can still have some really strong property markets. So Melbourne's boss's population growth is, is strong. The community doesn't have the confidence that it, uh, it did have a few years ago to buy, um, and that's for a combination of factors. Um, affordability is probably the biggest issue, but also um, during the property boom, the construction industry in Melbourne was very overzealous, the same as what we've seen in Sydney, and they've actually built more dwellings. In, you know, in spite of the growing population, they've built more than what that new uh, population growth requires. So um, when the community sort of discovers that property prices aren't going in an upward direction, um, they tend to put their hands in their pocket and, uh, and I, I guess I couldn't blame them. So I've got to ask you the question, Simon, how long are they going to keep those hands deep in their pockets? Yeah, well, I mean, it's specific to Melbourne. Um, look, that downturn, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but I wouldn't be... I think it's uh, fair to say it will continue throughout 2019. We do have downturns in every market from time to time, and generally they, they last a couple of years. What happens after prices decline, though, um, they can often track sideways for um, for several years. Um, but, you know, um, you, you only got to get out of Melbourne and, and large parts of regional Victoria are actually among the strongest property markets in Australia. Um, you know, so whilst Melbourne might have declined by, call it 10% round figures over the last 12 months, you only got to go one and a half hours east um, to somewhere like Warrigal and they've seen double-digit price growth. Um, in places like Ballarat and, and, and Geelong have had strong markets for a couple of years. Uh, Bendigo is picking up. Uh, Shepparton is you know, very solid as well. Um, so it's very Melbourne-centric and Sydney-centric at the minute. But, of course, um, lots, of, lots of newspapers are written by journalists based in those two cities. So that's why Australians are sort of feeling that all of Australia's property markets are in a downturn. Not, not the case. And it's amazing, depending on which newspaper you work for as well, about your attitude toward property. True. I, True. I, I've noticed that the Fairfax just seem to be loving these amazing sort of adjustment stories and woe is me. Fairfax seem to be all over the decline in the property markets in Australia. Uh, Which but, isn't help, helpful because confidence is, um, is very important for property markets um, and, and confidence is something that we all contribute to. You know, the, our own individual attitude and what our own dialogue affects what other people think um, and so if we go out of our way to you know, I guess you know point the finger at negative things other people are consuming that as well um, and that doesn't you know create a healthy mindset to do some positive things so some positive reporting is, would be very helpful in a climate like this. It would indeed now of course there's a, there's a cohort in all this well there are a couple of cohorts aren't there there's basically the the younger cohort the uh, the new aspirants to try and get into the property market but yep. since this is the age stage I'm interested in picking your brains for the older Australian 
Julian Simon. So, of course, for many retirees or those about to retire, um, this correction is not good news, at least in the Melbourne and Sydney area, since much of their plans for retirement are going to surely be leveraged off the value of the family home. Should they be panicking and should they be worrying? Uh, certainly need to be, um, you know, that's going to be an individual case-by-case basis, but uh, it wouldn't be pleasant. I mean, uh, uh, as I said earlier, downturns happen in every location from time to time, but the younger you are, um, you know, I, I guess the arguably less worried you might be about it because you've got time on your side, um, you know, to go through other growth cycles, um, you know, while you're at other stages of your work, working life. But if you're at the back end of your working life or indeed already uh, retired and your main asset um, is the family home, that's a concerning thing for people. Um, no one likes to sell an asset in, in a downturn. If you can avoid selling it, um, you know, generally speaking, that would be wise to do so. But it's a difficult one because, um, generally speaking, once there is a, a property boom, whether it's Melbourne or anywhere in Australia, it is often followed by between five and up to 15 years of not much growth before you, you then see the next growth cycle. Um, you know, just to use a real-life example of that, uh, Australia's third largest city, Brisbane, the last time it saw a growth cycle, um, that finished in 2007, 12 years ago. So it's been going sideways, tracking sideways since? Yeah. Now, the last four or five years, Brisbane has seen some growth, but, but nominal, you know, 2%, 3% per year for the, each of the last, say, three or four years. Um, but the median house price in Brisbane today is only about 15% higher than what it was before the GFC all those years ago, 11 years ago now. Um, and then Perth, Australia's fourth largest city, um, a typical property in Perth today is still worth less than what it was worth before the GFC. Which so, is... um, uh, yeah, no, no one market is the same, but growth cycles, it's important that, that those who own property, whether it's the family home or, or investors, that you understand the, you know, where your market is at in the cycle. No, no market goes strong forever. Um, perhaps during the boom, a lot of um, Victorians thought that Melbourne prices would always increase, um, but also in a downturn. Um, no one likes being in it, but they generally don't last that long. Simon Presley is uh, the lead research programmer at uh, Propertyology. It's uh, basically a, a company that looks at uh, investments and looks at trends in real estate across the country. And we're speaking to him today on the age stage. So, Simon, um, you've just released some figures. And to quote one of the headlines out of a couple of the media releases, your research indicates that uh, our homes are not uh, as safe as houses or, or what the cliched expect- expectation of them was was or is? Um, yeah, well, I guess what we're... There's a lot of things that we've, you know, uh, educational stuff that we put out um, on a regular basis, but during a property boom such as, you know, like Sydney and Melbourne recently saw, um, often people disregard some of those, you know, cautionary um, things you put out. So I guess we released a report um, just this week, Brendan, to remind people were thinking, well, maybe now they'll listen to us. Um, and one of those uh, lessons is that, you know, it's not all about population growth. We were saying that during the boom, but it sort of was largely hands over ears, la, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Well, Melbourne's population growth is just as strong now as what it was two years ago. 
but property prices are, are declining. Um, we were cautioning, you know, a, a few years ago about this large pipeline of housing supply. And again, everyone was sort of la, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but you know, now we've got, you know, lots of properties listed for sale that aren't selling. We've got, um, you know, very soft vacancy rates. So we just felt it was, um, timely to produce some quality information to get people focusing on the good quality in information. The property markets are very complex. There's lots of pieces to this really big jigsaw puzzle, um, more so than, uh, than what a lot of people probably appreciate. So Simon, where do we go to to read into these findings of yours or do we have to subscribe to a newsletter? How do we... No. Uh, we certainly do produce a, um, an educational-based newsletter. Uh, just jump onto propertyology.com.au, propertyology.com.au. Uh, there's a subscription tab up the top. Um, once a fortnight, we produce um, an educational newsletter. The report we've been talking about today, Brendan, is is on our um, website. Uh, people can read it. There's lots of statistics, lots of charts, lots of um, objective commentary. Uh, what we did is we actually looked at the entire history of Sydney's property market, 30-year history, um, and so we've got a real case study there, um, and there's lots of learnings whether you live in, in Melbourne or Mornington Peninsula or anywhere in Australia by looking at what a actually has happened in a property market, most importantly, why did it occur, why, why did a market have a boom or why did it have a downturn, it's a, it's a real important educational piece for people. So if I sold the family home in the last 12 months, I've done pretty well. I probably got to, I've got rid of it at the top of the market and I just sort of hunger down now if I'm going into retirement and wait and maybe invest wisely in a year or two. Would that be your advice? If you don't have to, if you own a property, um, you know, Melbourne, Mornington, Peninsula, and you don't have to sell, um, yeah, it'd be It'd be wise to hold on that. If that property is not the family home, it's an investment property, and it's costing you quite a bit of money to hold each year. You know, from an annual cash flow point of view, that's a different discussion. Uh, there are people out there who who might have bought in the back end of the of the property boom, um, and didn't perhaps pay as much attention to what it would cost each year to hold. Um, now, if that property is costing them sort of twenty thousand dollars or more to hold that maybe they ought to consider selling that. Because it could be, if, if, if history is a good teacher, it could be many, many years before that individual property experiences a significant growth period again. Um, so the case-by-case -case basis. Incredible. I also want to pick your brains a little bit as well on another issue, if I might, Simon, and that is basically the government seems to be, or banks at least, retreating on reverse mortgages. Are you seeing that in your analysis and research as well? And what implications, if any, for those that are getting into retirement? Yeah, I mean, reverse mortgages is a very specialised product. Um, not a lot of people have heard of them or, or, or use them. Um, I understand that there never was a lot of uh, pro many products out there. There might have only been three or four uh, banks that had a product for reverse mortgages. And, um, and a lot of brokers, um, you know, you know, didn't um, get involved with those applications. But my understanding is that there's a perceived reputation risk that um, behind why banks have withdrawn those products. They're concerned about um, what happens if they lent money on a reverse mortgage loan to a borrower, and then something didn't unfold for that individual borrower, as everyone would like to see in years to come, and then the potential. Um, negative media press that that, that could attract. So um, that's my understanding as to why they've withdrawn it. But that's, um, a, that's just a, another name for risk, though, isn't it? 
Well, but I guess it's a different type of risk. Um, the, the credit risk um, with a reverse mortgage, would, there would be none, I would argue, to a bank um, because the, the size of the debt compared to the size of the asset the bank has a mortgage over is such a small ratio. They would never, they would never lose out there. They're more. The bigger concern, I think, for the banks is more the potential current affairs story. If they did have to um, act on that security, um, you, know, you can imagine that poor elderly yep. pensioner, um, you know, without a home, and, and and how that could be portrayed. So that's my understanding. Um, it's more the reputation risk they're concerned Ab- about. Absolutely get it. But again, you know, if the retiree with a hell of a lot of fantastic real estate trying to get hold of some cash, uh, very difficult for them unless they flog the whole damn thing. Um, you know, and mortgage options or reverse mortgages are denied to them, uh, they're in a difficult place. They are in a very difficult place. And probably, you know, what options does it leave for someone in, in, in that situation, Brendan? Look, not a lot. Um, you know, uh, one is perhaps, depending on the value of that, that you know, individual person's family home, but consider downsizing. So, of course, you need to live somewhere. But um, if you've owned that family home for many years, I mean, looking at, Melbourne's median house price in 1990 it was $133,000. Um, you know today it's uh, yeah, it's in the 700,000. So if you are that retiree, um, you know whilst it is in a downturn now and you don't have access to a reverse mortgage, it's still got an asset that's worth a lot of money. So one option in the absence of reverse mortgaging might be to um, consider the pros and cons of um, living in something smaller, um, more affordable and freeing up some cash, which really, the, you know, what is a reverse mortgage? It was freeing up some cash, so that's, that's another option. For those um, who are in an earlier stage of their life, um, important to, to take some learnings from this. While you've still got however many years left in the workforce, uh, take this as a, as a real reminder of the importance of investing. Superannuation, no matter um, how old you are, will never be enough from, to, to adequately fund most people's um, retirement lives. Age pensions are really not a lot of money. Um, so it really does pay to, to be proactive uh, and look to invest, plant a seed, I call it, um, you know, while, you, while you're younger and give that seed time to, to grow and, and, and bear some fruit later on when you really need it. Sounds like some fantastic advice, Simon. And once again, where do we go if we want to read into this amazing research that you've done in the last year or so? Propertyology.com.au Simon Presley, thank you very much indeed for taking time to talking to us today on the Age Stage. We appreciate it very much, Simon. Maybe from time to time we could put you on our preferred callers list and we uh, call you into the program to give us updates on, on property and the way you're seeing things. Always love to help people. Um, yeah, I'd love to take you up on that opportunity. Good on you, Simon. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Brendan.